please pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord of love, God of mercy and God of all comfort, the only true God, I praise your name. In the great congregation, Lord, we gather together on this Lord's day, not to check a box, but to praise your name. Lord, these next minutes, let it be in line with praising your name. Let it be that you get all the glory that we walk out of those double doors proclaiming that Jesus is the hero, that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Lord Jesus, forgive us for all of our hardness of heart, how slow we are to come to you. Lord, I know if they could see my own heart, they wouldn't want to listen to me. And if I could see their own heart, I wouldn't want to preach to them. But there is a God in Israel who cleanses our hearts and teaches us to proclaim truth in spite of all our sin. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. Help us to abide in you. In your holy name we pray, amen. People, if you have a Bible, please open up to Psalm 121. Maybe the fastest way to find it is page 500. But if you could find Psalm 121, when you get there, please say amen, and then I will read it out. (laughs) Thanks. I don't want to leave anybody behind. We're good? Let's go. Psalm 121. A song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. On the board, I selected a title, They Sang Better Than They Knew. And the best way I could explain this title is to let you in a little bit about my life. I come from a Haitian church background where from about the age of 11, you were in the youth choir. And that was, in effect, your Bible study. And we did a lot of singing, and every third Sunday we sang before the congregation. As I got older, though, I started to realize something very strange about our singing. What was strange about our singing was that we sung better than we knew. I'm not talking about the quality of our singing. I'm talking about if we understood what the words actually meant. We all know this experience. There's a song that you sang when you were young. You heard it on MTV, BET, VH1, and now you're a little older, and you hear this song that you were singing when you were five, and you go, ah, I was saying all that. (laughs) In the same way, Psalm 121 was spoken, or sung rather, by the people of Israel. And my claim is that they sang better than they knew. Meaning, we have an ability as people to proclaim with our mouth what our minds and our hearts don't have. And this is what Israel didn't know. What they didn't know is that Psalm 121 was about Jesus, a man they never met, in a reality 
the new Jerusalem, a place they've never seen. And so here is my one claim today, something to hold on to, and it's this. Psalm 121 is about the life of the true Israelite, and that the life of the true Israelite ends in a meeting with God forever. And there is no danger of that meeting being missed or disturbed because someone's death and resurrection secures it. That for the people of God, on their way to God, they are protected by God. And so, a bit about these people. We're going to break this down to four points. Here are the four points of today. Point number one, who is Israel? They are the custodians of the truth. Point number two, Israel's song. Point number three, questions for the song. Four, Jesus, our song leader. One more time. One, who is Israel? The custodians of the truth. Two, Israel's song. Three, questions for the song. Four, Jesus, our song leader. So number one, who's Israel? Before we dive into this psalm, we have to understand and respect the culture of this people. So who are they? Who is ancient Israel? Best way to describe it to you that Israel were custodians of the truth. By custodians, meaning God gave them truth to guard and to keep until the appointed time. Consider how truth entered into the world. God created Adam and Eve. They were in a loving relationship together. God walked among them as we walk among our loved ones, and then we rebelled against God, told him that he wasn't worthy of our praise, and because of that, we shunned, we shunned ourselves from our own livelihood, from our own life source, and we needed saving. And here's what God tells us in Genesis 3.15. He says, I will put enmity, hatred between you and the woman and between her seed and your seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Imagine Eve if she heard those words. What she would be hearing is this. One day I'm going to give birth to somebody and that person is going to set us free from all of this. Chapter 4, what happens? Cain and Abel. Abel's the righteous one. Cain is the evil one. Cain kills Abel and then gets, gets cursed by God. The promise doesn't look that promising. He gives birth to a line of seven generations of wicked upon wicked upon wicked men. But then Adam and Eve have one seed named Seth, and they're thinking, this is going to be the child, but it's not Seth. Seven generations later, Noah comes. Noah comes, and Noah's this righteous man, and God wants to destroy the whole world, but not Noah and his family. He's going to carry the promise through them. Genesis 9, we find Noah drunk in a vineyard. He's not the promised seed. And so God, who put this truth into this world and this promise, he says, it's not safe with all men. I'm going to tuck this kernel of truth, this promise, with one man and his family, Abraham. Abraham takes his truth. And this is what God says of Abraham in Genesis 18. He says, for I have chosen him, him being Abraham, so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised. Abraham gives birth to Isaac, Isaac gives birth to Jacob, and God changes Jacob's name. And you could guess what he changes his name to. He changes his name to Israel. He says to him, Genesis 35, verse 10, God said to him, Your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. 
be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you. Kings will be among your descendants. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you. And I will give you, can't read that far in small far. And I will give you this land to your descendants after you. He keeps the promise. He keeps the promise. These people of Israel, they were the custodians of the truth until the appointed time when God would put forth his truth into the world. These people of Israel grew mighty. They were a strong nation, and they worshiped their God, and they humbly bowed before him as his people. And like all people do, for all time, Israel did. What they believed, they sang. And many of those songs we have in the book of Psalms, we have Israel's truths, Israel's convictions, and songs. And so hopefully now Psalm 121 will make a little bit more sense. Look down at Psalm 121 and look at that title. It says, A Song of Ascents. What does that even mean? What it means is this. These people of Israel were commanded three times a year to go up Mount Zion to Jerusalem and worship him in the temple, everybody together. And as they ascended up this mountain, this was one of the songs that they sang. This song was for the people of God to the city of God. And now the psalm makes a little more sense. Look at verse 1. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? Now, what do they mean by this? Is this a question of doubt, of insecurity? It is not. It is not, oh, we cravenly look to the mountains because we don't know who's going to help us. No, no, no. It is an affirmation of faith. It's said like this, I lift up my eyes to the mountain. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. They take their complete confidence in the Lord. Again, the people of the Lord on their way to the Lord are protected by the Lord. And here's what happens. That Lord, if you were on the sides, if you were a neighboring nation and you heard Israel singing this psalm on the way up, if you heard them say those 12 words, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, three things may stick out to you. One, they worship this particular God called the Lord. If you look at your Bible very carefully, Lord should be spelled capital L-O-R-D. That's not just Lord or King. No, it's a covenant name, God's covenant name, Yahweh. They worship one specific God. The second thing that you'd notice these people know the scriptures. They know the Bible. They say, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That's Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But more than anything, if you were a neighboring nation, here, what should, here is what should stick out to you. That for the Lord's people, on their way to God, they commit themselves to God. On their way to God, they commit themselves to God. They don't just go to God and, and trust that other things will get them there. No, no, no. On their way to God, they trust that he will bring it to pass. And the whole entire psalm is of this theme. The whole thing, a couple nuggets. Just look at uh, uh, verse 4. Uh, yes, take a... Uh, no, how about this? Take, take for example, verse 6. The sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. My friends, the moon does not smite anybody. What are they saying? They're saying that there is no hour of unprotection with our God. 
Verse 8, it says, the Lord will watch over your coming and going from this time forth and forever. What are they saying? They're saying, we believe that as long as we call upon Yahweh and make our way to Yahweh, there is no place of unprotection. We are safe in his hands. But now there's some questions for the song. And here's a good question. If you're a Christian sitting here today, many times we may wonder in silence, maybe we may feel like it's inappropriate to say out loud, but we may say this, I'm not Jewish. I have nothing against the Jews, but I'm just not a Jew. I know some Jewish people, nice guys, nice girls, not a Jew. So David, what does that have to do with me? To which I will reply to you, Christian, you are Israel. You are Israel. Jesus himself said that you are Israel. And I'll describe it to you in this way. Remember, Israel, ancient Israel, they were not the owners of the truth. They were not the sole proprietors of the truth. They were the custodians of the truth. They guarded it and they kept it until the appointed time so that God would release it to the world. He didn't give it to them because they were more worthy than others. No one's worthy to carry God's truth. He carries it in them for the world and for him. Jesus says, for salvation is from the Jews, but an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Saints, Christians, Israel, on your way to God, what do you worship? In the face of death, what do you put your confidence in? As you take your ascent from this life to meet with God, where is your confidence? Is it that you live for your children? Do you put your entire confidence that you are raising a Renaissance kid? People of God, is it the retirement fund? Is it our morals? Is it the fact that we show up to GRC on Sunday? No. No, it can't be. Because none of those things will approve you before God. None of those things will approve you before God. In fact, that's not what a Jew is made out of. Romans chapter 2, verses 28 to 29 says... A person is not a Jew who is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision, that is circumcision of the heart, by the Spirit, not the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. Christian, you believe in the God of Israel. You are Israel. This song is for you. As you make your ascent on the way back to God from this life, you are to be found putting your complete trust in God. And what does that look like? There are many ways in which we can lie on ourselves and make believe that we're putting trust in God, but it indeed, it is not trusting God. Here's one of the best examples I can think of of a pseudo-trust in God that God calls out. If you can, go to 2 Chronicles 16, and if you can't find it, that's all right. It'll be on the board. 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles 16. I'm going to give a little context to explain what this verse is about, these verses are about. Essentially, here's what happens. There's a king of Jerusalem, and he is threatened by an opposing army. So he seeks help not from the Lord, not from his God, but, to a, but from a nation that doesn't believe in his God. 
from a nation that hates his God. And here's what it says in 2 Chronicles 16, verses 7 to 9. Give me a second. I got to get there myself. Here we go. 2 Chronicles 16, verses 7 to 9 reads as follows. It says, At that time Hananiah the seer, or the prophet, this is a man of God, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Aram and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. He reminds him, Were not the Cushites and Libyans a mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen? Yet when they relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You have done a foolish thing, and from now on, you will be at war. You may read this as a Christian and think, weird stuff. We don't live in a kingdom anymore. Not weird stuff. Not weird stuff at all. Just look at our political situation. Is it not true that many in the church relied on a king-type figure of immorality to produce morality and not on the Lord God alone? That's something to consider. That for the people of God, on their way to God, they are to commit themselves to God and God alone. For God says, the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my praise to another. I will not give my glory to graven images. But then there's a second question. And the second question has some real interest to it. The second question goes like this. The person may ask, I know a little Bible. I know enough Bible. I hear it. I know enough Bible to know. I know enough Bible to know that the people of Israel weren't always protected. Sometimes they suffered great loss. Sometimes they got hurt. Sometimes even God himself put him into danger. But this psalm says that they, they won't, their foot won't slip. No harm is going to come upon them. They're idiots to believe in this God. They're idiots to believe in this God. They say these things, but they're not a reality. I know people like that. They believe in a God who does nothing for them. How do you reply to something like that? How does this psalm reply to something like that? Here's the reply. That question is a great question. In fact, many believers suffer. Matter of fact, believers suffer physically, emotionally, but more than anything, spiritually. I would argue that there's no one who suffers more than a great believer in God. And so what do they mean when they say that God will keep us, that the Lord is your keeper, the Lord is your shade on your right hand? What is it that God is keeping? And this is what it is. God protects the people of God by faith. By faith. First Peter chapter 1, verse 5 says, You, Christian, who believes in God, you are protected by the power of God through faith. That home comforts may go. Bergen County may go. And it won't matter as long as you have your faith. There's only one thing he's trying to protect, your faith. That their foot, as the psalm says, that their foot won't slip, the foot of faith. That he will keep us from all evil, all harm, the harm of a lost faith that he will keep your life, the life of faith. That is what pre is preeminently being preached in this passage. Yes, God grants us wonderful things and good things, but even good things can harm our faith. And when good things begin to harm our faith, God says, move that good thing. I have something better that, I need, that you need to keep, your faith. A wonderful example of this is the book of Deuteronomy. The passage will show 
In the book of Deuteronomy, the people of God are about to enter into Israel and finally receive this wonderful land. And here is what God says to them. He says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands? He humbled you causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors have known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. But as they entered into this wonderful promised land, He knew, he knew that the fruitfulness and the prosperity standed as a great threat to their faith. And so he says, Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks multiply, and your silver and gold increase, and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud. And you will forget your Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Natural blessings, my friends, natural blessings prove a real snare to our faith. They prove a real trouble to us because we start to worship the things instead of God. We stop putting our eyes on the hills where God is, in New Jerusalem where God is, and we start looking elsewhere. And God wants none of it because those things won't keep us in the face of death. The only thing that will keep you is your faith. The Lord keeps his people by his faith. Jonah in the well kept by faith. Isaac under the dagger, Abraham holding the dagger, that's being kept by faith. Esther before the king, kept by faith. Daniel in the lion's den, kept by faith. It's about faith. I lifted my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That's faith. And there's nothing that is to mess with our faith on the way to God. But then a natural question flows. Faith in what? David, you talk all this about faith, but what is this faith that you're talking about? A lot of people have faith. Faith in different things and faith in abstract gods. Pie in the sky type of gods. What faith are you talking about? And this specifically is what Israel sang but didn't really understand. All that they sang, the Lord that was to keep them, They were singing about Jesus, our song leader. What do I mean by this? This is the final point. Guys, the nation of Israel grew very cocky. And though they continued to sing this psalm, perhaps even three times a year as they made their way, that pilgrimage, that ascent up, they lost sight of the truth. They thought they they were the truth. They thought they were the owners of the truth and not the custodians of the truth. They forgot that life is to end in the resurrection of the soul, that man needs to be reunited to God. Instead, they started to think that this nation of theirs was all that there was. Instead, they started to believe that this kingdom, the Savior was going to come, he was going to destroy all the Romans, he was going to establish this kingdom, and everybody else who wasn't a Jew, they can't really be in the kingdom At best, they'd be a second-class citizen. They're confused. But despite their confusion, God is faithful. He delivers on his promise. 
And he comes through and he brings himself into the world as a man to crush Satan's head and to take a blow for us. Jesus proves to be our song leader. And here are a couple ways he proves to be our song leader. First, consider the title of this psalm. Again, look down. It says, a song, a song of a sense. Jesus was a faithful Jew. He took that pilgrimage to Jerusalem three times a year. And do you know what he met there? Persecution. John chapter 2, verse 13, it says, Now the Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple people selling oxen and sheep and doves and money changers seated at their tables. And when he drove that out, because God's house is not a place of business, they wanted to destroy him. John chapter 5 It says, after these things, the Passover was near, and Jesus again went up to Jerusalem. After John chapter 2, he goes again. And when he goes up this time, when he makes that ascent, he finds a lame man, and he heals him in the pool of Bethsaida. But he does it on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees are petty. And they don't really care about healing the total man. So they seek to kill him. And he says, my father is working until now, and I myself am working. Remember in the psalm it says, he will not slumber nor sleep. And in the garden of Gethsemane, same idea. Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is about to die. He's sweating blood before he gives his life for me and for you. And he tells his disciples, don't sleep. Watch and pray. He leaves to go pray and sweat blood. He comes back and finds them sleeping. He's not like us. He didn't fall asleep when we needed him most. And what did he pray? What did Jesus pray in the Garden of Gethsemane? If you could go to John chapter 17, on page 877, consider what Jesus prays. When you arrive, please say amen. Thanks. Here's what he says. John 17, verse 11. Look at what Jesus says. He says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect, keep them in your name, the name which you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Look at what he says in verse 15. He says, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. The psalm, the Lord is your keeper, the Lord is your shade on your right hand. And you might be thinking, but David, he was speaking to his disciples. Read verse 20. That beautiful verse 20, verse 20 says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Jesus, our song leader. Jesus, who died in our place because none of us are worthy to stand before God. The world has a complete misconception about God. They think that they can stand before him any which of way. They don't understand. Don't you know God is perfect? Don't you know that as you ascend that mountain called life, that you are going to meet him? And when you meet him, what will you say? You will need blood, the blood of Jesus over your life. I'll put this in an allegory. 
Consider that your life, this pilgrimage, this song of ascent, is a voyage at sea. And there are only two kinds of ships on this voyage. Pilgrim ships and rebel ships. The rebel ships, they start out, and as they go, they build a, before they go, they build a mighty ship, and they start off on their life, and they're cocksure confident that they're going to get to where they need to be and get to the right place, and they can find their way. And then they get to the harbor, and the harbor master comes out to them before they get off the boat, and he says to these rebel ships, he says, first question, where are you coming from? And they say, from over there. He says to them, did you mean to come here? And they say, actually, no, we were trying to avoid this place altogether. But the waves and things happened, and we tried to make our ship really strong, but we got here anyway. Death is just that powerful. And the harbor master will ask them, on your way here, what song did you sing to encourage yourself? And they'll say, oh, Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. (laughs) And then... He will say to them, stay right where you are. I'm going to come on the boat. I'm going to search that large vessel called the human soul. And I'm going to see if you have the one thing necessary that will get you in here. And he'll look around and he'll see a nice spick and span like these white walls. And he'll say, you can't come in. They'll say, why not? We'll pay you. We'll do everything we can. He'll say, there is no blood here. Where is my son's blood? Where? and they'll be left at sea. And when they say, please don't kick us out, he'll say to them, you didn't want to come here anyway. But then the pilgrim ship comes in a lot smaller. Matter of fact, these people aren't even on a ship at this point. They're on a raft. And they're singing. I lift up mine eyes to the hills, from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord. The the harbor master says, what are you singing? They say, Psalm 121. They say, where'd you, where'd you hear it from? They said, it was in the word of God. Where'd you come from? They'll say, over there. Did you mean to come here? They said, this is the only place we want to be. He'll say, stay right there. I want to check the ship. In this small little ship, this small little raft that has nothing on it, he'll say, where's the rest of your ship? They'll say, cancer took it. In the waves of loneliness, in the power and the winds of a loveless marriage. But can we get in? And he said, those things don't matter. Those things didn't destroy you. There's blood on this boat. My son's blood is on this boat. Jesus, you loved Jesus on this boat. Consider this. Psalm 121 verse 8 ends like this. It says, the Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. Jesus says, I am the gate, and all who enter through me will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Lord God, if there is a rebel heart here that thinks religion is painfully exclusive and unloving and unkind, God, help them recognize that they have the wrong view of the cross of Christ. For any soul here who is a part of a pilgrim ship and loves the Lord with all their heart but is being killed 
by the struggles in life. Help them remember, as long as you have your faith, you are well. To one here who has possibly walked into great sin and used to profess Christ but is a long way off, remind them to lift up their eyes to the mountains from where their help will come from, the Lord Jesus, who made heaven and earth. Jesus, you are worthy. Holy Spirit, you are powerful. God, we will meet again. In your holy name we pray, amen.